Alright, good, let's kick off. Um, good evening once again. Welcome to BW Connect Spaces. Um, our first edition in the fourth quarter. I don't even know when we started these. I think we started, we must have started these in June. Um, with Stuga harassing us to, to, to have these and we've, we've been having them. Initially started off uh, every week and now um, fortnightly. Um, so I'm really glad to have you guys back after the holiday refreshed. Um, but we today we decided, as you are all aware, um, that the state of emergency, which was enacted last year um, in March, finally came to an end. Um, and one of the stipulations that was in the state of emergency when COVID hit, um, obviously a lot of companies didn't know and a lot of companies obviously put plans in place to um, possibly restructure themselves. Um, at the time, the government took a decision that to avoid um, to avoid increasing unemployment, that they would put a moratorium or effectively just block um, companies from being able to restructure or get rid of get rid of people, whether rightfully or wrongfully. That's a debate for another day. Um, we then saw, so we've now seen a scenario where a lot of companies had to carry. Um, a lot of their employees from from last year under uncertain times, through to this year when I think there was a lot, a bit more certainty and a bit more idea of Khalang in the economy, and in their different respective businesses. We've now come to the end of the SOE. Nothing. We we exited it with not much really being said, but I guess one of the things that then kicked into play was the removal. Of the blockage here with Yahweh, company, this So you know, it is a somewhat educated expectation that we might start seeing. We might start seeing those. Hopefully, some other companies were able to recover enough and then don't have to go down that road. But it is a it is a fact and a reality of life that some companies will go down that road. COVID also forced a lot of companies to start looking at um, digitization automation as well and that might also affect um, you know the reality on the ground in terms of the restructuring so we thought it would be important um, to have the space that you know while it's a, a horrible thing to talk about but it is a reality that some of us might have to face in the next couple of months and that we might have to face the reality of restructurings, retrenchments, ETC. Um, and I thought it would be important on both sides, so one on the employer side, for us to be able to educate anyone who's currently, who's an employer um, or who might have to um, run this particular exercise for them to really know how it's done. Um, I've seen in the past, even from my personal experiences, that different people do it differently. And a lot of the time people don't even bother to follow what's, what is the law. They, they, they just do what they wish. Um, and then on the other side, if you're an uh, employee, it is probably important for you to know what to expect, what the process should look like, what your rights are, um, 
as this particular process um, unwinds. I have found, as I said from experience, sometimes our expectations are wrong. Um, in fact, a lot of the times our expectations of how things should be and how they should end are a lot higher than what is actually expected of the companies. Um, and I think it was really important for us to, to have this conversation. Um, so we've therefore invited um, some legal experts, um, people in the legal fraternity. Um, we've invited two, 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 two particular lawyers, Rea Andileum Tupa and Manbewe, and to, to come speak to us about what to expect and the expectations. And obviously, um, anybody else who would like to contribute, um, we, are, we, we, are happy, we are happy for you to contribute. I've seen um, some, 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 some other people in the legal fraternity in the particular space. Um, and we also hope that um, as we, once we get to the question and answer session, that even the people in the space also contribute as well um, to, to, to the space, not only just with question, but hopefully with experiences as well. Um, you know, so before we begin and before we, intru we introduce our guests, I think it's, it's only fair for us to go over the normal rules. Um, as you all know, um, in, in terms of the spaces, um, if you want to communicate with us, uh, feel free to, to, to tweet on your timeline. And as you tweet, um, just use the hashtag BWConnectSpaces or tag myself or tag BWConnectSpaces. In fact, go follow the BWConnectSpaces, please. All of you make sure that um, from here you are following BWConnectSpaces. So if you want to communicate, if you want to ask questions, we will continuously go. Um, you don't have to wait to the end for questions. Just start fighting your questions now um, and your comments, and we will continuously collect them and, and field them um, to the different speakers and anybody else in the space. So please do that. Also, um, we know um, sometimes it's, it's a little bit unstable and especially more to um, the specific speakers. If you struggle, if it logs you off, just log out of the space, log back in, um, send a speaker request and, and it will add you. Um, I, sometimes you, you might struggle to hear, um, that is fine. Um, just do that and let me know. Another important thing to note is that we are recording these. We will record these and then put them out as a podcast, um, which should come out in the next one or two days. So anybody who doesn't want to be recorded, um, please, please, I guess, don't ask questions or things like that. Or don't don't speak if 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 that's the case. But we are we are actually recording. Um, so yeah, I think let's get this show on the road. Um, so let's start. Let's start with the introductions. Uh, um, Mambewe, please, could you introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, um, your experience, and, and and all of those things. So we know we know, we know who you are, and eventually, um, at the end, we will also you know get people to contact you and uh, be able to to get more legal advice and use you in, in the in the future. Yes, thank you so much for having me, and to all the listeners. Um, Welcome, I guess. Uh, my name is Njeramanda Mbewe Boate. I am an attorney, notary, a public and a conveyancer. I am a human rights activist, um, an advocate against gender-based violence. I'm the founder of a network called Bahisanyi Network and also the founder of Legal Ladies Botswana. Um, I studied at 
Nelson Mandela. Um, that's where I did my degree in law. Uh, but before that, I was at Naledi Senior Secondary School. And I also have a certificate um, in proficiency from the Insurance Institute of South Africa. I have over seven years of experience uh, as an attorney. I'm very passionate about people, uh, family law, um, children. Um, and yeah, that's basically me. I'm the passionate um, attorney. I'm doing what I love. Um, I decided to be an attorney because I wanted to make change where I could. And I guess I'm not doing a bad job. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, we, we are thankful and we're thankful for your passion. Um, Thank you. Andile, uh, could you give us a, a, a brief uh, background about your passions and where, where, where you come from and what, what you're doing? Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for having me today. Um, just my introduction, my name is Andile Mutupa. Um, I'm an attorney at a corporate commercial firm in Khaboroni. I've, I have about two to three years of legal experience in various fields. Most recently, I've been employed, like I said, in a corporate commercial firm, but I do have experience in human rights law, access to information, as well as criminal defense. Um, I guess I would say my passion lies in pure simply the law. I enjoy the study of law, the practice of law, learning about the law, dissecting the law. That is where my passion lies. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Yeah, that that I mean that that that's more than enough. Great. Um. So yes, guys. Um. We, you guys are obviously the experts on things like these, so you know we would we'll expect the the conversation really to be, to be conversational, um, and uh, I guess also to say, Tata in speaking the Latin of things. Um, let's try to break down um, whatever we're talking about to the simplest sort of things, and and, and make the examples and and where we can. Um, let's try to give examples so and scenarios so people can see what we're talking about. But the basic thing that we're talking about now, I guess, it's it's things really around, um, you know, rest, restructurings, um, and you know, possibly the expectations that we, you know, you know, we're gonna see. But the first question I think that I would ask is, you know, we we always heard what was being said. Um, the SOE and, you know, different companies, we were told that companies were not allowed, whatever you want to call it. What did, you know, the regulations actually say and what were the implications there? Um, and, you know, what room did companies really have to try to circumvent all of that? And, you know, did we see anybody, uh, do we, not necessarily specifically examples, but are there, you know, were people able to get around any of those rules at the time? Um, let's start with let's start with uh, Andile, and then you know we can just have a conversation. Oh, thanks so much, Mpoing. Um But yeah, so essentially, I'm a bit hesitant to read the regulations out exactly as they were, but I'm also a bit hesitant to paraphrase. So please bear with me, guys. I'm just going to read them out quick, fast. It's like three or four lines, but uh, essentially what the regulations said were where a business is unable to have employees work remotely from home or where a business is unable to pay salaries, the business may seize operations, 
but shall not retrench or dismiss an employee during the state of public emergency. So I, I personally fell into this trap from the get-go. My interpretation of that section was you can't dismiss employees or retrench employees during the state of emergency, period. But through a couple of questions and a couple of cases and investigations we had come into the office, we ended up dissecting this particular regulation. And I think the um, interpretation that we all fell on was where business is unable to have their employees work from home, the business essentially should either or can either seize operations um, or, well, either you have your employees work from home or you seize operations. If you're unable to have your employees work from home and you're unable to seize operations, that is when you are disallowed from retrenching employees or dismissing employees because you can't pay them and because you can't have them work from home and because you can't seize operations. Um, so that means that you could, you could, during the SOE, employers could dismiss employees for serious misconduct, could dismiss employees for cause, like, for example, not reaching your KPIs after following certain procedural requirements and notice requirements and having actual cause to dismiss the employee. But again, during the course of our various investigations, we did have informal communications with a good number of labor offices, Mohaboroni, Kolobate, Francistown, all sorts of stuff. And they all fell on the consensus that, yeah, you could have dismissed, you could dismiss your employees for cause, so long as you're dismissing them in terms of the Employment Act. But what you cannot do is retrench your employees. Um, I guess we'll touch on the reasons for that later. But yeah, that's essentially what the regulation provided in our interpretation. Um, just, and, and, and this can go to either one of you. Could a company have, for argument's sake, um, kept employees, but then not paid them? So maybe, you know, fine, I haven't actually dismissed you. But, you know, because I don't have... I'm not making anything that I could take to Jafar either to halve your salary or to just not pay you at all. And isn't that really kind of this? I mean, what would, what's really the difference there? Even if if I can't really give you anything, um, you know, what would the difference be there? Well, it's a double-sided um, sword. Because on one end, you're saying you cannot um, retrench or dismiss. But on the other end, you're saying you cease to operate. And when you cease to operate, that's the end of it. So essentially, you still, um, as an employee, you will still become unemployed. So um, it tried to protect, but there was um, the other side to it that in trying to protect, there was still the side where you could still become an unemployed uh, um, employee so it was it was it, it's, it's a double uh, sided sword and um, it makes sense in the sense that initially um, employers were um, hesitant or did not really want to jump into uh, dismissing employees because of uh, financial reasons that covid brought about however when they became more comfortable and got to understand um, two things would happen. They would either seize operations, and that would mean ultimately you are unemployed, 
or they would pretend or look for a serious misconduct um, under the guise of trying to dismiss you in compliance with this regulation. So double-edged sword. Yeah, and and that's something to you know, I think we'll we'll talk about a little later where 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 the where the employer will find things and try to make sure I think that's that's a special type of thing that I think a lot of people are actually not aware of um, of, of their rights in that regard. But we'll we'll, we'll take that um, we'll take that a little later. Obviously, that was the that was under SOE, so it was just to, to set the scene. Uh, but I think obviously now the things still in Khori, um, you know, we should obviously we should look forward to one of the one of the things that we saw a couple of times as well was something where um, companies attempted something called voluntary separation. So um, and I and I suspect even going forward, we a couple of people, a couple of companies might end up doing that, and people probably need to know um, what that is. Um, could could you guys sort of give us an idea of what voluntary separation is, and you know the 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 implications of that, um, and 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 effectively how should that be done if a company wants to do that? Yes, um, we did a lot of that. Um, we saw a lot of that at the at our firm. Um, voluntary separations are also known as mutual separation agreements. This is where an employer and employee discuss a way forward on terminating or ending the contract. Um, and this is where the employer simply says, look, we're in this situation. Um, I can cease to operate, but I wish not to cease to operate. I'd like for us to amicably um terminate our employment contract and like i said um this is something that uh, we saw happening a lot now uh, the regulations do allow um, for the employer and employee to negotiate or discuss a way forward with respect to their employment contract. And um, they call in the employees and they discuss um, how they intend on um, cutting the umbilical cord, if I may, uh, or the contract or, or the employment or not. And if the employee agrees uh, to terminate the contract of employment, you have voluntarily terminated your contract of employment. So you can't run uh, to labor and say, um, I've been dismissed. Um, the regulations provide that I cannot be dismissed because you have, um, it's freedom to contract. You have agreed. Now, uh, the regulations do not exempt the employee from terminating his or her contract. So this, is, this was one way in which uh, the employers um, evaded uh, the regulations or the uh, were able to dismiss wherein they sat with an employee and said we're in this situation um, this is what we can give you how can we agree on an exit package and this is one way in which they were able to dismiss or terminate um, employees and the reason I say that is because one would say well they, it's mutual agreement but if we are honest an employer um, is has more power than an employee and um, I believe that's why with the industrial court and the trade dispute act the equity is one of the elements that is considered because the truth is um, the employer is in a a better position is is in a more powerful position and so the question really is as an employee when you you are called in and you're told we wish to mutually separate this um, employment contract. What really are your choices? I mean, if you don't agree and they cease to operate, you're unemployed. If you do agree, you're still unemployed. So 
either way, it, it's as the employee, you find yourself uh, at a disadvantage. And also, um, something that I've seen happening as well with the experience that I've had is that um, employees would not know how to conduct themselves. Uh, an employer would call them and say, let us mutually separate. But instead of them um, asserting their rights and saying, I do not want to separate, um, they would then go not go to work. And in not going to work, because in, in trying to show that you do not agree with the mutual separation, in not going to work, you are then it then becomes a disciplinary um, issue. So then the employer can say, well, you've not been coming to work and I'm now dismissing you based on, on that. So it was a bit, um, it's, it's been a bit difficult for, for employees um, in that respect. Also, even if, um, and this is something that has been happening, yes, employers have been hesitant to terminate, but even if an employer would actually terminate, what is your right of recourse as an employee? We go back to, 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 to the first uh, step. You have to go to the district labor office and say, I've been terminated. And then you have to go through the motions. And then your matter is heard after maybe a year or two. So in all honesty, as we are here to have an open discussion, really when we dissect it and look at it from all angles, the employee is disadvantaged, whatever the case is, whether mutual separation, whether ceasing of oper uh, to operate, whether they are dismissed based on misconduct. Um, yeah, you really find yourself in a cotton between a rock and a hard place as an employee, and this is what I've seen. Yeah, and, and, and this is exactly why I thought it was important to have this space. Because a lot of the stuff we can just assume your common sense. Um, you know, we, we assume things like voluntary separation will be amicable and all of that. And we forget that we respond differently and we forget that different people interpret things differently. So, you know, like you said, you get approached by the company, next thing, how you do wrong. And you don't even know the, the, the implications of which end up, you know, actually playing right into the hands where the company, in fact, um, fires you without even, you know, without even having to pay pay you anything out. So that that is really why um, I wanted us to have this space, and I think it's important as well for 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 and Alinne some of those kind of examples um, and give sort of not necessarily advice because I know that that gets into murky areas, but just to sort of say, um, you know this is how you probably need to think about these kind of things. Let's go out. Amdila, how did you, were you guys seeing, um, no. did you see any other type of sort of, um, you know, obviously there was the voluntary separation route. Did you see any other sort of, um, I don't want to call them tactics, but any other kind of ways that companies were looking um, and were having discussions with their employees on, 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 on moving forward? Oh, 100%. Yeah, we did. I mean, that's the time to call for desperate measures, right? And Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes, so I was saying we're still sort of talking about what was happening under COVID. Yeah, we were still talking about what yeah. was happening under COVID. Um, so, yeah, what other kind of, outside of things like um, voluntary separation, what else did you guys see, um, you know, that was that was happening in the market? Um, one thing that we did see that particularly stood out to me, because this was the first time I'd seen anything of its kind, was unpaid leave. Um, I mean, employers and employees can always come to an agreement that amends the employment contract. 
obviously that agreement cannot be below what's provided for in the Employment Act, right? Now, parties like the, the employer and the employee can always come to a point where they say, all right, fine, listen, I'm not gonna able I'm not gonna be able to give you work, I'm not gonna be able to give you money, is but I don't want to dismiss you from employment. Let me put you on unpaid leave. So we did a bit of research on that in a particular case on whether or not employees can be put on unpaid leave. And one thing that we found out was employees and employers can agree to be for the employee to go on unpaid leave, but the employer can't force the employee to go on unpaid leave. Similarly, an employer can't force an employee to take their annual leave days without them wanting to. Um, and then another another tactic that we had seen, well, quote unquote tactic um, that we that we encountered was people slashing, sorry, employers slashing their employees' wages. Now again, employers and employees can agree to all sorts of things in the employment contract, so long as it's not below the Employment Act. And one of those things that they can agree is a variation of the employee's wages. But what we found very interesting was that employees, sorry, employers were imposing a wage reduction on employees. And like Mrs. B was saying earlier, employees are really in, and I hate to use this word, but they're really in a vulnerable position in, compared, in comparison to employers, right? If your employer comes to you and says, ah, think back, option number one, you're not going to be able to come to work anymore. You're not going to get any cash. Option two, take take a pay cut. Take a pay cut. You'll still have a job. You'll still, you'll still get a little something, something, and you'll be all right. Employee is going to accept option two because that's the more appealing option to option one. It's really a Hobson's choice, right? But obviously, the employee is not going to give the employee the full array of options available to them. They're going to give them the two that's extremely terrible and the one that they prefer. Um, so really, it's it's a question of bargaining power at that point. Yes, you can agree, but is it truly an agreement if one person feels as if they're being strong-armed into doing another thing? Um, and then if I could just go back for a second, um, I'm really happy that Mrs. B touched on the uh, the differential the differential powers between employers and employees. Because on the one hand, you can have the employer suggest to the employee that, listen, let's come to a mutual separation. You can also have the employee coming to the employer and saying, listen, guys, this isn't working out for me. Let's agree on a mutual separation. But it's very tricky because you also don't want that mutual separation, especially when it's the employee bringing it up, to be couched in the form of a termination. Because essentially how it works is when you're terminated, um, ordinarily you're given notice or you ought to be given notice for however long. The notice varies on how often you're paid, how long you've worked for the employer, whether you're on probation and things like that. But let's say for argument's sake that your notice period is one month. If the employer chooses to terminate you, um, they're either going to give you your one month's notice period so you continue working for one month knowing that you're on notice. At the end of the month, you're gone. Or alternatively, the employer buys you out. They give you your one month salary being the notice, the salary you would have accrued during the notice period, and you're gone. If the employee brings up the notice, brings up the termination on notice, same thing. You either serve your one month's notice, you get your salary and you go, or you say to your employer, listen, I'm trying to leave. And I want to leave today. 
in which case you have to then pay your employer one month's salary or however long the notice period is in lieu of notice. So I think that's one of the shaky areas that employers, particularly employees, have to be cautious about when approaching a voluntary separation situation, that you have to have an exit package and the exit package has to be comprehensive. And I think this is one of the most beautiful things about contract law. It allows you to be imaginative and creative. Think about the worst possible case scenario and work your way back. That way you can include any and every eventuality that you can think of in the contract to protect yourself before it even gets there. Um, just, Thanks, I'm done. Um, yeah, just I... give us... Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, for, for the sake of, the, of, of everybody else, give us a... And, and uh, like you were saying, um, think of the worst eventuality, eventuality as in work your way back. Um, could you take us through like a thought, like a thought process like that? What what could that look like? Ooh, you put me on the spot there for a second, but okay. Um, so the way I would look at it, right? If I'm advising an employee, an employee, or if I am the employee, I'm going to look at it as worst case scenario. I approach my employer, and my employer say, I approach my employer, and I say, I want to leave, and I want to leave today. Worst case scenario, I now have to pay my employer three months notice or two months notice or one month's notice um, or one month's pay, two months pay, three months pay in lieu of notice because I want to leave ASAP. Or, and that's not money that I've budgeted for. So now I have essentially another Hobson's choice. Do I stay with this company that I want to leave ASAP? For whatever reason, maybe I found employment elsewhere Maybe the, the, the fit just doesn't work anymore. Maybe there's a family crisis that I need to attend to ASAP. I now either have to part with two, three, one month of my salary or what would have been my salary, money that I never saved up, or I stay in this place for another month, two months, three months. That to me would be the worst case scenario. So then working backwards, I would want to put into the separation agreement something that says that. This is not a termination. This is a mutual separation agreeable between the parties. And something along the lines of the employer will pay the employee X amount being the exit package inclusive of benefits, inclusive of pensions, inclusive of severance and gratuity and all that good stuff. Um, And the employer and employee both agree that they have no claims against each other. But then also, another worst case scenario, if you do have a claim against your employer, or if you think you may potentially have a claim against your employer, or even if you don't know you have a claim against your employer, having a clause that then relinquishes you both of any claims means that you can never go back and say, for those four or five months that I was working here, you guys weren't paying my pension, you guys weren't doing whatever, whatever. So... You've now relinquished all the claims, so you then have to do a balancing exercise. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is one option better than the other? Okay. Miss um, B, you, you wanted to comment before um, I asked that question? Yes. Um, one thing I wanted us to think about that we are not, um, we are looking at the advantage of the fact that companies could not retrench. However, um, there is a disadvantage to that. And when I, when I look at it, if um, a company cannot retrench or could not retrench rather, 
and completely ceases to operate, everyone loses their job. However, when you retrench, it means some people lose their jobs and some retain their jobs. So was it really, um, were we really protecting um, employees in companies completely ceasing to operate rather than allowing them to retrench and reduce the workforce and um, having others still have work or were we protecting them? And if we were protecting them, now we are here. So I think let's also look at the other side of the coin. Yeah, I've, I've, and, and that's why when I was introducing, I said rightfully or wrongfully, because um, that is really, an, that's a debate for another day. Um, that it, it, you know, like you said, it's it, if if the company had to stay alive by, by retrenching 40% of its workforce and then it stays alive versus everybody going home because it can't keep, you know, which is really the greater evil. But, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things. I guess it depends on where you sit, um, whether you are the owner the em- or the employee that's been cut or the employee that's remaining. Um, anyway, right, let's, let's, let's get into the, let's get into, obviously, the, you know, your expectations of what you will see. Obviously, I think we, we do expect that some companies will start to, um, to institute some form, and, and, and I, I think initially I want to use the word restructuring, right? Um, some companies will look to institute some form of restructurings and or retrenchments. Um, so speak to us about the, the different, um, you know, options that companies generally have. And, you know, if they want to do something like that, what what do the processes look like? What are they supposed to, to actually do? Um, you know, I think... Um, yeah, any one of you can basically jump in and speak to that. Okay, um, I'll speak to our retrenchments. Um, Andile will speak to, I'm throwing him under the bus, he'll speak to restructuring. But I know I'm not throwing him under the bus, he'll be able to address it. So um, with retrenchments, um, it is not definite notice of termination. Um, it's a warning. Um, so the employer is warning the employee um, that they are most likely to be retrenched or to lose their employment because of prevailing conditions. And I think the most common one will be obvious now. Um, COVID has had um, a horrible um, effect. Um, It's really ravaged all of us. So the most common one would would obviously be financial. And um, companies would would simply say that financially they're incapable of um, keeping their 100% workforce and therefore they want to reduce, I'll use your example, 40% to 60 Now, um, it is very important. There's a procedure that is is laid out and it is very important for the employer to um, conform um, with the procedure laid out in in the in the act and that is to first inform the commissioner of labor and then thereafter um must inform the employees um that the employees of its, its intention to retrench um so it must give written notice to to the employees that it intends to uh, or they're most likely to be affected by the retrenchment um now, there are also certain rules that an employer has to consider, like the first in, last out rule, uh, where you have to look at, it's simply that first in, last out. If you came in, you've been there for longer, um, we should not be so quick to uh, retrench you. But if you just jo- recently joined, and we had we had um, situations like that just before COVID where 
um, March people received offers of employment and they were really happy. And then uh, lockdown, COVID, and then <laughs> that's the end of it. First of April, when you're supposed to start work, there's nowhere to go. So they have to consider all of that. Uh, they have to consider... Um, um, the efficient running of the business, the and, and and its ability, the experience, the qualifications, and the skills of the employees, and um, also um, one thing they must do is consider ways to minimize the retrenchment. Um, and uh, this is done through the consultation process, where you either uh, get. Uh, ways of mitigating um, the retrenchment or of trying to avoid it. Um, and this is where employees can give, for instance, um, examples on how to um, maybe bring bring back the company to where it used to be before COVID. Um, not something that would happen uh, as quick as we would like, but maybe over a certain period of time where employees maybe commit themselves to uh, bringing in different ideas and being innovative in how to be able to bring back the company uh, to where it was to avoid or to mitigate um, retrenchment. So um, that is what needs to happen. The procedure has to be uh, correct. Now, I will go back to the reality because for, for everything I say, I always want to take it back to the reality. The reality is this. Um, and this is what we see, I've seen over my uh, plus seven years of experience. Um, retrenchments will be done. Sometimes they'll be done properly. Sometimes they will not be done properly. And we go back again to where we were. As an employee, you are still going to find yourself um, at a disadvantage. Because if the retrenchment is not done procedurally, and it's, it's, it's procedurally and fair, um, you will have a right of recourse in terms of going to labor, in terms of going to, to court. Um, but your right of recourse, will, will, it will limit you to a certain amount. If you do succeed, um, you'll be compensated, right? So you'll be given something to say, yes, well, you were retrenched. Um, they did this right. They didn't do this right. Um, here, get a month of your salaries, uh, get a month worth of your salary or two months. Um, so the reality really is, I think, at a point where as an employee, you get the notice that um, your, the company you work for is most likely to retrench. I think you need to be more intentional about um, looking for alternate uh, employment um, because um, even if it's not done properly, you will actually spend a lot of time and energy trying to get back at the employer or trying to get your one month or two months worth of your salary. And that energy could rather be channeled to um, another place. I'm not saying that... Um, as a matter of principle, that's right. As a matter of principle, it's wrong, but it's the reality. And if we are preparing um, our listeners here and employees about um, what is going to happen, I mean, it's imminent, then they should rather know that, am I going to spend my energy uh, going to the district labor office, going to the industrial court? Um, do I have fees for an attorney? Um, what am I most likely to get out of this? Um, should I rather use the money that I have or the package that I got, the retrenchment package that I got to look for alternate employment or start a small business? So I think we also need to change um, our mindset around this because if we're going to focus on, I'm going to get them for what they've done, what they've done is not wrong, maybe you're taking yourself back. So it should be a balancing exercise for you as an employee. Is it really worth it for you to uh, take a big company or a company to court for one month's pay? How much money are you going to spend taking them to court? Or should you rather use the package you get to do something? Or should you start um, being intentional about uh, what your options are in the space that you're in?
Okay, so so you've mentioned a few things then, and I, and I want to I want to get a bit more color. You you sort of you said we the company has to inform the district um, labor. I think you said the district labor office, and then it also has to inform the employees. Yes. Um, the word inform does it mean that um, the the at the district labor yeah, you know whatever it is that we are motivating that you want to do. Does yeah. the company is there anyone who's an arbit an arbiter who says okay um mm. um you you can't get rid of forty percent you should be getting rid of twenty we think you could do better I mean who who judges that um or is that something say really pretty much the company gets away with whatever it really wants to wants to do. Well, in all honesty, um, and from experience, and like I said, we're here preparing the nation uh, and employees, um, the company will will get away with what it wants to get away with. Because if it says um, financially we are not surviving, we're not even breaking even, and even if it has to prove that, it is able to prove that. And if it says, well, if we look at where we were and where we are now, there has been a dent, and in order for us to... Uh, uh, go further we're going to have to let go of certain people then then you see we also then you i think if you're um um the district labor uh, at the district labor commissioner again the question would be when a company has come to say i have a hundred percent workforce and i want to uh, retrench 40 percent to retain 60 otherwise i'm not going to be able to manage at all which means 100 percent workforce uh, will be unemployed again you would um consider to say, well, we have some employees that are going to lose their work, but we're also going to have those that are still going to be in employment. So it's a situation where the employer has to show um, where it can, right? Without going to, there are also issues of confidentiality. I mean, there are certain things that you may not disclose or may not need to disclose, but if need be, you are able to say, well, we were making uh, 1 million before COVID and now we are sitting at 10,000 pula. In a case like that, really, you can't argue. And for a company to also reach, well, for some companies to reach that, um, uh, in fact, it will, it will most probably be most because the fact of the matter is COVID has affected um, a lot of companies. So um, in those instances where they sit down and say, well, this is where we are, this is what we want to do, it's really very difficult for you to say don't. Because if you say don't, the employer, like we stated already, is is at an advantage. And they'll say, well, then we are going to close shop. And if we close shop, then everybody goes home. So it's more of a, um, which one is the lesser evil? All right, cool. Um, Andilia, speak to us about restructurings and like what's what's the difference between those and 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 retrenchments. All right, thanks. Hey, um, thank you for that number. That was a very that was a very colorful and very informative iteration of what strong retrenchment is. So essentially, like Mambeo was saying, is if you're going to retrench, you're going to reduce your workforce keeping with the example from 100 to 60% by chopping 40. What restructuring does, and I like that retrenchment and restructuring are sort of used in tandem because they don't, they aren't essentially the same thing, but they kind of may lead to the same thing. So what essentially restructuring is, is you are taking the organization, the composition, the duties, the roles, the jobs of the company, 
and you're changing them in a way that's going to be more financially and operationally beneficial for the company. So restructuring has many faces, but in my short but colorful experience, I've seen restructuring come in the form of debt restructuring. So a company, using the COVID example, a company is going to go into massive amounts of debt. It's going to take out loans. It's going to put up certain things as security. It's going to incur so much debt just to stay alive. But then there's going to come a point in time where that debt is too much for the company to handle. So as opposed to retrenching its staff, in order to make up for the losses and the costs that they've incurred with, in, with increasing their debt pretty much. What they're gonna do is they're gonna restructure their debts. If they have anything more to offer as collateral, they're going to do that. If they can renegotiate terms with the lender, they're going to do that. If they're gonna consolidate their debt, for example, instead of having five, five, um, debt, five creditors, five banks who've loaned you money, you're gonna go to one bank you're going to get a lump sum of money to pay back all those five debts. And you're only going to be facing that one loan with that one monthly repayment instead of five monthly repayments. Or alternatively, and I noticed, um, who was it? The Alchemist. I think he touched on it pretty well. Another way of doing restructuring is where you now do a streamlining of the organization of the composition of the company. Instead of having two people doing the same role, through restructuring, you're going to have one person doing the roles of two. This is where it now touches into the realm of retrenchment. Because the question is, what are you gonna do with that second person? Are you going to give them another role? Are you going to get rid of them entirely? Are you going to have them train the second person? All these questions arise, um, but that is the second phase of restructuring that I've seen where the company now changes up how it's composed it's, it's either going to consolidate roles, it's going to split up roles, it's going to create new roles, it's going to reduce the number of roles that it has. And in turn, it's going to do the same thing for its employees. The third phase of restructuring that I've seen is, especially in terms of private companies, where the company is going to now try and raise capital by issuing shares or by selling shares or by getting loans from its shareholders. So let's say, for example, Andilim Tupa PTY LTD has two shareholders, Mrs. B and Mr. Tupa, both holding 50-50, uh, 50 shares each in the company. So what Andile is going to do as one of the shareholders of the company, or what Andile and Mrs. B are going to do as both of the shareholders in the company, they're gonna realize that oh, the company is struggling. There are 100 shares right now in this company, I'm holding 50, you're holding 50, let's issue new shares. So you're going to go out in terms of the company's act and you're going to issue new shares. You're going to now double up the shares. So instead of 100, 100 shares in the company, there's now going to be 200 shares available in the company. That's going to attract new investors. That's going to attract new shareholders who are in turn going to buy those shares, injecting capital into the company. Or alternatively, it can be a situation out of up. Let's put that $2 million into the company. It's going to increase the value of the shares that we have. Or alternatively, it's going to be a loan that we are individually giving to the company. Um, or companies are even going to merge. Andilim Chupa PTY LTD with its two shareholders. There's Mrs. B PTY LTD with its single shareholder. 
Those two companies merge. Mrs. B PTY Ltd buys Andilin Tupa PTY Ltd. Andilin Tupa PTY Ltd no longer exists. The two companies have now merged. Um, their assets come together. Their liabilities come together. Their profits come together. So now, you see the the the, the company is going to be reorganized, reconstituted, restructured in a way that's beneficial for the company to progress and be profitable and pretty much keep its head above water. Now, I think in recent times, we've seen a number of companies who have sold shares, companies who've gone public and put their shares on the Botswana Stock Exchange. We've seen companies who have merged, companies who've acquired other companies, such and such. That to me seems like um, a desperate response. It may be right for your company right now just to keep you above water, but you also have to be careful to keep bedfellows with whom you're comfortable. I mean, you don't want to make a desperate response right now and then seven months from now when the SOE is now over and you've made a bit more profit, it's now a situation of, ah, Mrs. B, it's, it's, it's been good, it's been great, but, you know, Let's, let's, let's part ways. I'll buy you out of your shares. I'll give you the market value of your shares. I'm not going to cheat you. I'm going to give you everything that's due to you. And then Mrs. B says, Doug, we're making racks over here, Doug. So I'm not going anywhere. So it's one of those things where you have to, when you're restructuring, again, think forward. Think about worst case scenario. Think about what is going to happen six, seven, eight, nine years from now. Yeah, so I wanna I wanna stay away from capital, um, you know, capital restructuring, and sort of focus on number two that you were talking about, um, where I think you are likely to see quite a lot of that. And 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 in in, in my past experiences, I've seen a scenarios where, like you said, companies look at themselves, look at how they're gonna rejig themselves, how they're gonna reorganize. You know, do we do we need? three people here or can we have two people what kind of skills do we need heck let's look at um let's look at uh technology um let's let's look at technology and see how we can sort of improve um you know how we work and i suspect that's the kind of conversation that a lot of people are going to have how should those be done and what are the processes of how those are done, because a lot of the time they affect the, 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 the contract of people because, you know, you are working in a specific um, job. Maybe I am a teller for argument's sake. And now the bank is telling me we no longer um, need tellers. But some of you might now become loan what what officers, but, you know, these qualifications are now going to be needed for you to become that loan. What, what, what. And if you don't meet those, thank you very much. We're going to have to find somebody else. Ghana, we're moving. This this role was no longer at this grade. It's now at this lower grade or this higher grade. How do how should those be done? Because I suspect that will you know people will see a lot of those um, going forward. And it's one of those where even though um, you know the worst case scenario is you losing your job. Sometimes staying in the company, um, you know, can create bad situations as well because um, your situations might have changed. And I'm going to ask, obviously, a silly question as well and say, you know, are people in, in, in that regard, are they allowed to somehow reduce your salary by saying, 
you know, Rulaha, who is now at a lower grade and what, what, what. Um, so now to apply for it, we've heard of people being told to apply for the jobs that they that they're in, but they're now getting them at a lower sort of scenario. So just talk to us about all of those um, kind of um, crazy scenarios that people go through. Okay. Um, before I touch on that, I just wanted to say we spoke about employees and um, the effect of retrenchments, but also to the employers that are here. Um, it would be wise for you to make sure that you follow the right procedure because if you don't and you retrench 500 people, 200 people, um, the lawsuit that is going to come for you may actually be what closes your company again. So um, that's something that I, I wanted to say. But um, to answer you, um, restructuring has to be done in line with conditions that favor the current employees. And this means that the employees' interests are of great importance and should be considered first. To reapply means that your current contract or the contract that you have, it means that will have to be terminated. So um, let's not, you're told reapply, let's not forget that there's already an existing contract. So in order for us to get into this new one, the old one, we have to get rid of the old one. And in, and when I use the word get rid, um, it's me saying that loosely, but we have to terminate that old contract lawfully. And so I think employees here should be cognizant of that. If, if they're going to have to reapply, then the old, um, it's, it's don't just uh, forget about the old contract. Something has to happen with that. And the right thing that has to happen is that it should be terminated lawfully. Also, Assuming that um, your employer will successfully terminate the old contract and you are, uh, you are placed in new employment, right? Um, you as the employee, you have the right to have your salary constant and or increased. So if you were earning 2,000 pula in your previous contract and then it's lawfully terminated, and I use the word lawfully intentionally, and you're told to reapply for another position, even if it's a junior position, um, you, you, your right is that your um, salary should be constant and or increased, um, even if you've been hired for a junior job. So, yeah. It, it, does that process, um, so, 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 so say there's a restructuring, right? Yes. Um, and that means some people are eventually going to lose their jobs and some aren't. Yes. Um, and the company is now going to look different. Does that process mean labor as well? And 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 you know, and then you know, if for arguments like union, so just speak to us where people have a union mm-hmm. and people don't have a union, and you know whether mm-hmm. um. Well, unions unions are obviously important for bargaining, but where a company doesn't, where employees don't have a, a union, they can form a committee. Um, it's known as a shop steward. Um, yeah, it can be called a shop steward or just a committee that they form, uh, where they comprise of elected workers who represent workers in dealing with management and uh, voice out um, grievances, uh, the employees' grievances to management. Um, this way, the employers. The, the the employers get to unite and or discuss the problems affecting them um, as rather the employees get to unite and discuss the problems affecting them as a union or as a committee of of, of workers. 
Okay. Um, so something that you, you that Mrs. B kept mentioning, and and Dine, you can give clarity. Here. What should what does the law say with regards whether whether company whether it be um, because of retrenchments? What does the law say? I know for a fact that there was a you know I went through a similar um, process at a particular time in my life. And, you know, there were discussions and as employees, there were discussions about, you know, how much should the company really be paying us, you know, um, previously and um, years before the, what the company had, you know, decades before when the company was restructuring, then it had paid Batoma too. Uh, so it was saying, whatever number of years you've worked, we'll multiply those by two and then give you that in months. So if you were there for five years, they would say, you know, five multiplied by two is 10 months. Uh, so we're going to give you 10 months salary. So we all came in, it'll be something like that, but then the company didn't. Um, you know, what we were then told, okay, in now one month salary for the number of years that you've worked and we you know tried to fight it and then it didn't end anywhere now what i really want to ask is what is the what is what should people really expect and what's the like what does the law say um and and where does it protect them at that is is it reasonable to expect some of these two times what 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 salaries or can companies effectively do what they want Well, um, there are some... Oh. No, Andile, you can take oh. it. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. Uh, no, thanks very much for the question. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to take it from the, as a step-by-step basis, starting from the point of how 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 lay your employer up until the point that they pay you your benefits. But uh, essentially, what's going to happen is you're obviously going to tender resignation and you're going to be dismissed and then you're going to go through a process of now you're going to have to calculate your benefits, right? So, and as well as your severance pay or gratuity or your pension, which are pretty much your benefits. So essentially, in terms of the Employment Act, an employer is, an, an employee rather, is entitled to either severance or gratuity or pension. In instances where you get pension, you're not entitled to gratuity. In instances where you get gratuity, it's likely where you don't have a pension scheme with your employer. Um, so there was a case that was decided by the Industrial Court, I believe it was in 2014, that said, in terms of your pension payout, number one, yes, you're not entitled to gratuity if you're getting pension, but that only applies if your employer gives you the contributions that they have been making to your pension scheme. Um, and that case was pretty interesting to me because I thought, oh, well, that's pretty obvious. I mean, if you, the benefit is that you're paying that person's pension. So when that person leaves, they must leave with your contribution. And then I looked further into it and I realized that there was a trend of employees, of employers saying, fine, we've been giving you pension for the entire duration of your employment, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years. But now that your employment has come to an end, we are going to take away our 50, 60, 70% contribution towards your pension. And your pension takeaway is going to be whatever portion you are contributing. But that doesn't speak to the benefit that the person has been receiving for all those years. So 
firstly, you're going to have to calculate if you've been receiving pension, you're going to have to receive 100% of your pension, your contributions, your employer's contributions, without deduction, unless that deduction is lawful in terms of the Employment Act. The lawful deduction is going to be where there's been like a loan that was given to you by your employer that you now have to pay back. There's some sort of agreement that you said that you came into with your employer that says you will deduct for my benefits in this particular instance, so on and so forth. Now, when it comes to calculating that amount, um, there are the, I'm just trying to get the name of it here, sorry, the employment regulations, uh, 1984, but they were amended in 1992. They're pretty old, but they still pretty much apply to this day and they're still pretty robust. If I could just read them out to you guys, it's three lines, but they basically say, for purposes of Section 27.1 of the Act, which is the fact that individuals, employees are entitled to severance benefits after 60 months of continuous employment with their employee, um, the severance benefit to be paid on the termination of a contract of employment shall be the rate of one day's basic pay in respect of each of the first 60 months of continuous employment and two days of basic pay in respect of each additional month of continuous employment. So essentially the rates of calculating your severance for the first five years of your employment is gonna be one day's basic pay. Um, now, mind you, just because you haven't been working for a, comp for a company for five years doesn't mean you're not entitled to severance. You're still entitled to severance, but that severance is gonna be prorated to the duration of your employment under 60 months. But when you have been employed with your employer for 60 months, five years, it's going to be your severance is going to be calculated at one day's basic pay for every 60 months of your continuous employment. But for every additional month over the 60, so from 60 plus one day or 60 plus one month going on forward until the end of your contract or the termination of your contract, your severance will then be doubled and calculated at two days basic pay. Um, my math is rusty. That's why I decided to practice law. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly how it comes out to whatever number of years you've been working is multiplied by two, and that's the number of months you're going to be given. I'm not sure how that exactly calculates up, but what I can say is the provisions of the Act and the provisions of the employment regulations are the bottom-most limit. So in other words, you cannot give your employee less than one day's basic pay for, every, for the first 60 months of their continuous employment or less than two days basic pay for, every, for each additional month after that. But if you and your employee agree or if you and your employer agree that the calculation method leads to or is going to be more than that bottom limit, then it's that calculation method that's going to apply. So if you've been employed for 60 months, for five years, and your, server, your severance is one basics, sorry, one day's basic pay in respect of the first 60 months, but the calculation method contained in the contract of employment broken down leads to 1.25 days basic pay for the first 60 months, then it's the calculation method in the employment contract that's going to be used because it provides for a better outcome than the one that the act does.
Okay, so Mrs. B, I want you to and they put something there which I think a lot of us are trying to wrap our heads around. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've got a an easier way of yes. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to think he's saying is that for every month um, that you work, you you effectively earn one day, right? So if that's if that means you've worked sixty months, that means yes. effectively you've earned sixty days. Yes. Which to me should probably come out to be is that three months pay? Yes, that is that is correct. Um, I think to 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 try and make it more easy, there are certain um, uh, amounts of money that, by operation of law, you are entitled to, and that would be your severance. And of course, severance would depend on how long you've worked. The longer you've worked, you worked in a company, the more severance you get, and that's an entitlement. It's not up for debate. Um, and or if it's not severance, it would be gratuity if it's not gratuity then it would be your pension and then you have your leave days as well and i think um the question really was uh when you leave with your package uh is should there be an expectation of how much your your package should be or what your package should be it will depend on how long you've worked there but also um one thing that happens is that there is um I like to call it freedom to contract, but where the employer and the employee actually agree to say, well, these are, you're entitled to severance, you're entitled to leave. However, um, we are now, you're being retrenched. So uh, we intend to give you this as a package for the retrenchment. So that's where the amounts would differ. So there shouldn't be an expectation that because um, Andile got uh, uh, to to two thousand, it means everyone will get two thousand. It will it will differ from one employee to the other based on how long you've been there and based on what your leave days are, which are your entitlements. However, if the company wishes to go further and give you a a package, a retrenchment package, then that is something that um, the parties can actually agree on. Um, there's no set amount, um, and if you agree on six months worth or two months worth, that's between you and your employer. But the other things in terms of severance, um, in terms of um, leave days, those are due to you. Those are your entitlements, and they are not up for negotiation. Okay, so let's we're going to do that math one more time, right? Yes. So we're saying, hardly if. If we come to that agreement, yes. one, you're obviously getting a, your pension and or gratuity. Yes. Two, you're getting your leave days. But three, if you're in the first five years yes. of working, which is 60 months, yes. then your minimum entitlement is three months pay. And then once you go above that, uh, once you go above 60 months, the additional yes. months are similar to two a day, um, two a month. So I guess... If you've been working for ten years, that would be that would mean um, that's another sixty months. So you multiply that by two, that's one hundred and twenty. So that means uh, you, that's six hundred and twenty six months because yes. a month is twenty days. Yes. So if you've gone to ten days, it'll means you've got the that six months plus the three months you are the first five years. Yes. So that would be nine months. Have I? nine months pay have i done that calculation correctly? yes yes but to make things easier actually and here's some free advice um i'm sure um and i don't normally give 
go about giving free advice without a fee, but here's some free advice. You are entitled to actually approach the district labor office and they will assist you. They'll do all those calculations for you. So they'll ask you when you started and when you when you, you were terminated or retrenched and they'll do the calculations for you um, to the last tebe. So um, it doesn't have to be as as hard as we are trying to, maybe, yes, we want people to understand, but um, should there be need for further clarity, the district labor office is there for that. They'll assist you freely. And Andile and I are also uh, available for that. Right, Andile? <laughs> but not for free. <laughs> yeah, always. always. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we're, we're going to, you mentioned, so we're going to move on. You mentioned something um earlier that I want us and I want us to sort of get in get into um, and I've just added another speaker again uh, um, um, you were talking about how companies sometimes will rather than sort of going through um, sort of the, the proper routes um, they will then try to uh, find a way of frustrating you out of a job either by um, in a weird, funny way, or by making your life a living hell so that you end up quitting yourself. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people probably go through that, but they don't even know themselves. So in that, uh, the reason why I brought Ramakate is I want him to speak. He's someone who went through something like that, and I just want him to take us through um, experience. Um, good evening. Mr. McCarty, how are you? How are you? I'm good in yourself. Good things. Yeah, we're very good. Er, um, er. Talk, take us through, take us through your experience. Um, I mean, we don't need to mention names. Obviously, it's a the company and whatnot. Um, but take us through experience. Um, you know, no, you know, you know, where were you? No better What then happened? Hella, hella, um, hella, hella, yalo, so that we can sort of give people a bit of color. You know, what happened to you in your specific, um, in your specific space? Okay. Uh, thank you, BW Spaces. Best time praying for the opportunity. Uh, my full name is Tuso Makatemburi Singani. I used to work for a company as a business development manager. I started with the company two years ago, that is in 2019. And so basically what happened is in August 2020, uh, I worked the full month and there was business, it was COVID time. So in the, I, work in, I was working for a finance company. So lucky enough for the finance company, the, the government said there is food packages that people ought to receive. So we are financing some of the companies that we awarded those tenders. So fast forward to the payday, August 2020 payday. Uh, our finance manager comes to us and says, uh, the company has taken a decision to pay you guys 75% of your salaries. And that is on payday. So I was like, okay, I'm surprised. We've been working through all the month. It's been business. So why that decision? So that was not answered. So the finance manager just said, uh, that is management's decision and that's that on that. Okay. So we were paid on that day and then I resigned immediately. So 
according to the employment contract that I signed, I was supposed to serve six months notice because I'm a key employee. So I was like, okay, that's fine. So I'll serve the six months. So the first week of September, a memo comes in and says, if you arrive two minutes late to work, a four days salary is going to be deducted from your pay. But prior to the deduction, you'll be notified and given an opportunity to either decide to go to work or go back home because you're not going to be paid for that day, okay? Fast forward to the 27th of September last year, and uh, the, age, the finance manager says to me, to say you've been away from work for three days or you came late to work for three days. I was like, okay. I was never informed that I came late to work and I'm not aware that I came late to work, okay. But I was like, okay, that's fine. So I go to the manager and say, directly to the managing director and say, this is what the finance manager is saying to me. Can you please corroborate his story? And he's, he's, he says to me, uh, I don't want to get involved in HR issues. And I was like, okay, no, that's fine. 27th, we are paid and three days of my salary is deducted. So I was like, okay, this is the last straw. So I'm resigning with immediate effect. Then I wrote, I wrote an open letter to management just to say, this is how you guys have been treating us. One, two, three. The kitchen has been closed during work hours. Like some of the employees are not getting paid. So the norm at the company is that people just wait to receive their salaries and then they leave without seven notice because of the the toxic work culture that was created there okay so i leave september 2020 and then i call i call a lawyer friend of mine i can see he's also here i tell him what happened and how the situation was at the company and he said so there's a difference between what's ethical or morally right and the law i was like okay so what he said to me then like threw me off and said okay there's no case here. So three months down the line, uh, I, I can notice that my savings are depleting. So I was like, okay, let me just go back to work. So I call up my employer and I, he gave me a contract that was half of the salary that I used to receive. That was in January this year. So fast forward to August 2021. This was a month, a month or so back. So my employer then pays us and then, unfortunately, there are three. There were three of us that are working there. Uh, two of the employees then left, and then I was the only employee that was remaining. So I'm told I should take over their files and do what they've been doing. Then I receive a call from HR, and our HR is based in India. So HR says to me, uh, the company has decided to cut your salary by half. Mind you. Uh, that my salary was cut by half when I returned in January. So in August, after they let go of the two other employees and I'm expected to do their job, then they're saying to me that cutting my salary by half. I was like, okay, this can't be right. So I resign again immediately. So I then go to, to labor on, on a Tuesday uh, to try and seek recourse. And then when I got to labor offices, they were like, no, it's fine. Just go back to work and serve your notice. And then I decided, you know what? I, I've done this before and I know the kind of people that they are. So let me just go home. So I get home and then I was like browsing through the internet. And then I just decided to go through the past legal cases in Botswana. So I, I came through a, a case of constructive dismissal. And then I went to Google and Google what constructive dismissal is. I was like, you know what? This is exactly what happened to me. So I think I have 
a, a leeway to 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 get what's due to me. So I then sent an email to my to the HR and my manager director say this is one, two, three, and four that has transpired. So this time around I won't leave quietly like I did before. So this time around I actually take legal action against you. So the then the manager director calls me and literally says, Tusa, are you sure you want to fight with Botswana's next billionaire? I was like, okay. My employer is very, very politically affiliated. I know most of you know him. So I was like, so this guy is using the fact that he's politically connected and he has money to do these things to a lot of us. And I was like, I was browsing through the timeline so that there are some people that are actually going through the same thing where people like in your workplace, your bosses like would pressurize you to fire yourself and then put you in a very, very mental state, like make you believe that you're the one that's wrong and you actually resign from work because of such situations. So I think when I was listening to what Ms. B was saying, uh, she, she with, with regards to, uh, what do you call this, with regards to re, re, reconstruction or when you decide whether you want to take a, a case to court, I, she says we should weigh your options with regards to if you're going to get a, a salary of one month, would you rather not just use the money that you have and not actually take the legal route? And I said, you know, I think the reason why employers are thriving in Botswana with dismissals and everything is because there's very few people that take such measures to the courts. And two, uh, with regards to constructive dismissal, there is not many cases about it in Botswana, and there is not a law that's that's directed towards constructive dismissal. And then uh, how I got to find about it is the, the case that the client actually had, they used the South African law. So I did a, a bit of research about that and actually realized that you know, when it comes to constitutional reviews and reviews of our employment acts, we actually need to come up with such conversations so that people take action. And there is case studies that can say, okay, one, two, three transpired in the past, and this is what is due to the employee in such an instance. So I basically just wanted to share what transpired so that I give light as, as to what constructive dismissal is. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I hate, we obviously I hate that you are having to go through this. And I wish this was something sending Sigarata to like 10 years back um, and wasn't so fresh and you weren't still dealing with it. Um, and I'd really like to take it back to, 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 to Andile and Ms. B to sort of talk to us about constructive dismissal. Um, what is constructive dismissal and you know, what recourse do, you know, do, do employees have? Because this is a thing that I think a lot of people go through and they just think, oh, my boss is a horrible boss and eventually they resign, but they don't actually necessarily know Korebanali, um, you know, recourse on such cases. Yes. Um, I think let me just emphasize that when I say weigh your case, weigh your case, it's in no way... Uh, for you not to exercise your legal rights, right? Um, but um, we're having an open conversation and we're here to give advice. And um, there are some cases that um, obviously um, we are, Andila and I would know what the outcome is going to be at the end of the day. And when we look at that and um, 
what you spend in, if you're, you're going to instruct an attorney and just the energy of it all. Is it really worth it? So I'm in no way condoning and I would never condone. Um, I mean, I did mention when I started that I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a human rights activist and I love people and I'm an advocate for, for people. But I'm in no way condoning that um, employers should mistreat um, employees uh, and then employees should just... Um, let go. I'm not. I'm not condoning that. I'm saying the same way you have a doctor, have an attorney, consult with your attorney. What are your prospects, and then make the final decision. Because sometimes it may not be about the money you get, but about the principle. And um, I do agree. Um, our jurisprudence. We are. We are young. Most of the law that we use. We borrow it from South Africa. Um, so our jurisprudence is still, we're still growing. And in order for us to grow, yes, we need to take um, cases to court. But then the reality, which is why we're here, is that it costs money. It's, um, it's time-consuming, energy, um, and um, sometimes you find that you get your judgment after five, five years. And five years you've been running after um, a company that is making a lot of money and you neglect yourself in the process and actually do not look at how you can sustain yourself. At the end of it all, you are spent. So I do a lot of labor matters. I represent a lot of employees. Um, we do uh, get um, compensation, which is uh, um, sufficient, or, or as a matter of principle, we do get compensation to actually have something on record that what the employer did was wrong. So I would I would never condone that. Now, constructive dismissal um, is where an employer makes it difficult for an employee to continue working uh, for him or her. Now, this can be done by the, there are a lot of strategies or tactics. I, we know them um, uh, and uh, where they invoke measures um, which make it unsuitable for the, for, the, for the employee to continue working there. Let me give an example. Um, for instance, you intentionally as an employer, you intentionally transfer an employee to another place, even though that employee or that worker has a family living with them and also did not consent to being transferred um, under the contract of employment. And this is why it is important. I, I cannot stress this enough. And I'm not saying this only because I'm an attorney, but I'm saying this because it is important. You need to make sure that the same way you have a doctor, you also have an attorney because most employees are transferred without even knowing what the process of, of a transfer is. Most employees' contracts, um, there are provisions that say you can be transferred at any time to any place and they sign. And for them, when they are told, oh, you're going to, to Hanzi, they, they are fine with it. They don't challenge it because it's, it's written. But is that really what the law is? So that is what constructive dismissal is. They make it so unbearable for you um, that you don't even want to wake up in the morning. You don't even want to drive to work you don't want to open the you park um your car and that two minutes that he was talking about is the two minutes you spend in the car contemplating and wondering if it's worth it for you to actually go up into your office so that is what constructive dismissal is and i think yes we should cultivate a culture and i love this space because now we are discussing it let us cultivate a culture as employees and employers where we have a healthy and conducive um, work environment and 
if you don't want someone, I always say sometimes to employers, if you don't want an employee, how about you call them and say, you know what, uh, your attitude maybe or your energy and our energy is not really in sync. Is there a way that we can go about this rather than making someone's life a living hell? All right. Rebatswana, Honali, Sito, Libutu. And those are uh, uh, the elements that make us uh, who we, we are. So um, I would not condone that. Um, please make sure that you have an attorney um, whenever you're going through something in the work environment and you don't feel like it is right or wrong, you inquire. Yes, we will tell you what the law is. Sometimes the law is not what we want it to be. We're in the process of changing that. That is why we're having this, these discussions. But where you have a right of recourse, where it's a matter of principle, and where also I believe it is my duty to be able to say to you, yes, it is worth the fight, or no, save them the little money you have instead of paying the legal fees and rather look for employment, or this is a, an exceptional case. Um, normally, they give people two months' worth of compensation. This is an exceptional case. They really made your life very unbearable. Let's, uh, you know, let's take them on so that you actually get a, a, an award or, I mean, there's no amount of money that can give you peace, the peace that was taken away from you when you went through that um, uh, constructive dismissal. But um, it's worth it's worth something. So um, I believe that's what Andy Lay and I and a lot of other attorneys are there for to say, um, seek counsel, um, ask us, we will advise you correctly, we'll tell you whether it's worth it or not, uh, whether it's an exceptional case or not. Um, and um, yeah, we're trying to change. If, if employers think that because the awards that employees get um, are, are nominal, you get two months worth of your salary as compensation, well, then we need to change that. And we need to keep on going and going and going until we have that judgment that says, if you're going to dismiss an employee under these circumstances, well, then you're going to pay. Um, great. So we, we, I think we, we now can sort of start, I'm going to start going through the timeline and find and looking for any questions that people have, but also if you oh, want to comment sorry, on the point. space, can I interject there, request? yes. So let me, let me finish and then, and then let me finish uh, sorry, and I'll let you, I'll let you interject. Um, yeah. You. So anybody who wants to possibly, um, comment please um, send a speaker request. So after Andy the comments, we, we will have Chilo who sent a speaker request for a, a comment. And then in the meantime, I'll be looking for some of your comments and questions as well on the timeline. Um, Andy Le? Um, thank you so much for that opportunity. And thank you so much, Mrs. Lee, for the, 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 the taking us through the crash course of what constructive dismissal is. Um, Ah, Mr. Mukata, I'm extremely sorry that that's something that you had to go through. That is not something that any employee should have to go through with their employer, especially considering that, like we mentioned earlier, you're in a position of trust. You have to trust your employer. You have to be in a position where you lean on your employer. You spend most of your day there, and it's extremely terrible when something like that happens, and I do apologize that you had to go through that. But if I could just add on to what... Um, Mrs. B had said, it's con constructive dismissal cases are, in my experience, a bit tricky. Because like she was saying, there are certain instances where destructive dismissal, sorry, constructive dismissal is quite evident, where your employer moves you from one place to another when you have your family and they didn't give you forewarning, they didn't give you a chance to accept or reject that, that, 
moving where your employer isn't giving you the necessary tools in order for you to meet your KPIs, your key performance indicators, where your employer basically slashes your salary, which from what I picked up earlier is what happens to you, what happened to you. When your employer basically slashes your salary without forewarning or without any agreement between you and the employer, because as much as we've been talking about employment and employment contracts and employment relationships, we have to understand that there are all sorts of contracts out there. As Mrs. B put it so beautifully earlier, it's the freedom to contract. But certain things make contracts what they are. They're called, we call them in law, the essentialia. They are the essential elements, the things that are necessary to make that particular contract a contract of that nature. And one of those things is the remuneration you're going to receive for the work that you do. One of those things is your working hours, the duration of your contract of employment, the location of your contract, the type of work you're going to do. Those are essential elements to a contract of employment that the parties cannot change. Just that's not something that's allowed. And it's 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 it's, it's an unfortunate situation that, like we're saying earlier, our 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 cases, our case law, our law in Botswana is not developed to the point that we can point to immediate instances and say that's constructive dismissal and judges are able to point to them and say exactly that's constructive dismissal give this man his fair due but the cases that we do have available mrs b mentioned earlier in the in the space something called equity um ordinarily the high court the magistrate's court um the court of appeal those are courts of law so whatever's written in the statute those courts will apply it as it is written. But the industrial court is a special creature. It's a law, it's sorry, it's a court of law and equity. So what equity is, is it's an old English principle where the king saw that, ah, guys, my subjects are being treated poorly. Let me create this new court system called equity that basically says, stuff what the law says, we are going to apply what is fair based off of our community, based off of our culture based off of our sit. We are going to apply what is fair. Now the industrial court is a court of law and equity. It's going to be guided by the Employment Act. It's gonna be guided by the Trade Disputes Act. It's gonna be, be guided by the employment contract. That is the law portion. That's what's written in the four corners of that document. But the equity portion comes in where it's now the, up to the judge to say, okay, fine. There's nothing in our law that says that by treating an employer, sorry, there's nothing in our written statutes that says by treating an employee poorly to the point that he quits is an offense. But equity says that that cannot be allowed to stand. That's not fair. That's not right. So there was a case I stumbled upon earlier from 2014 where the judge in that case basically said, I am not going to apply the law. I am going to respect the law. I'm not going to break the law, but I'm not going to apply the law as strictly as it is in the books. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look outside. I'm going to look at the International Labor Organization's recommendations, which are not law in Botswana. If I were to go to the high court and say, ah, my lord, 
Hasoro check the ILO regulations that they're quite clear in what they say. My lord is going to say like that. Are you here to play games or are you here to do law? But if I go to an industrial court judge and I say that, and I present to the judge that this is an unfair situation and you should look outside the law, look in what's look to what's fair, look to what's internationally acceptable, look to what's ordinarily done in instances like this, the industrial court has the power to say, you have a point there, leave that. You, you are actually on something there. This is not fair. And it seems as this, it seems as if this, 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 the batch of judges that we have now in the industrial court are not as shy as before in uh, using their equity powers. Unfortunately, not many cases go to court because like Ramukato was saying earlier, some people are intimidated. Some people are misguided. Some people are, some people basically take themselves out the game before they even shoot a shot. But just like Mrs. B was saying earlier, don't, don't, just because you're in a less advantageous position as the employer, don't take that as you automatically being out of the game. You have to do an assessment. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Sometimes merely making a stance, merely adding to the body of cases and case studies and law in Botswana so that the next person doesn't have to go through what you went through, so that the next person's steps are easier than those you had to go through is enough. But again, that's an entirely personal assessment. Thanks, guys. Great, thank you. Um, I'll just reiterate that, guys. Um, if you want to comment, if you want to speak, please um, send, uh, send, send across um, a speaker request. Um, we've we've had Chilo who 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 sent a, a speaker request, and um, you know he's been commenting quite well. I think if you if you sort of go on um, the if you go on to the hashtag, you'll see that he's been he's been commenting and giving advice there. And I think one of the things he mentioned was um, you know how scary it is some of the stuff that's been happening Juaneka um, SOE and that there's quite a lot of um, cases so you know um, Chilo I think the, the floor is yours um, I, we hope you're having a good evening thank you thank you Mpueng. Um good morning everyone good morning good evening everyone sadly I chase now from work so I'm just a bit hazed up a bit um yes, my name is Kilo Getwafetse. Um I'm a chartered accountant. I'm a member of Bika. I do quite a lot in terms of business advisory, entrepreneurship, um, business and media. I currently work as a finance manager for Kamoso Africa, which might seem a bit controversial from where I'm standing, but nonetheless, I just thought I should just add in a couple of pointers and a couple of sentiments that I see from my perspective. And hopefully this might shed a bit of light towards um, a couple of you that are listening today and just open up your mind just a bit on where the world is actually going, where our country is actually going and just be a bit mindful around. I think first things first, eh? um, since the pandemic of the COVID-19 started, um, a lot of companies are really struggling, so to say. And you'd even find that even the big guns, that is your diamond companies, your manufacturing companies, your FMCGs, 
etc etc also do have their own form of challenges so to say you'd find that company a is in a liquidity crisis in terms of cash to support working capital by working capital i mean the adequacy for you to procure raw materials your adequacy for you to receive money on time from your debtors your adequacy for you to still pay off your suppliers etc that whole cycle is what you normally call your working capital cycle and then in terms of capital expansion projects, a lot of companies are really struggling in acquiring um, the form of finance, so to say, to expand their operations such that they're a bit more sustainable, such that they're able to penetrate more markets, such that they're able to introduce product lines that are consumable within the, the economy as a whole. And such factors, when you start to look at them, there's a tweet I made earlier on to say, you know what, shareholder loans are actually quite expensive. And actually any form of debt, really basically it's usually far more expensive in one way or another it's either you're getting um a rate a classy but the covenants that is to say or the the fine prints that come within the contract they usually tend to be a bit more stringent i know for example um bdc bdc what they usually do is say we're gonna give you finance of up to maybe 20 million hypothetically but then Rule number one within us giving you this amount of money is you are not allowed to retrench for the next five years. And part of the reason why I'm bringing this up is I see things where I work from an employer perspective because the people that I manage, the people that I work with, and it's just the entrepreneur mindset that I work around. And from time to time to actually try to see what is it that we really want to achieve? Do we want to grow the company or do we care more about the people? And unfortunately, in those aspects. But it's 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 just a wake-up call to say, you know what, it's not just maybe the company that you are working for and maybe found you in a turmoil, so to say, but just generally throughout the economy, Botswana, a lot of companies in the private sector actually are struggling to actually keep afloat. Just a couple of years back, we had even Bo Westwood that were even struggling to even pay salaries. And this is just before um, COVID-19. And this is just to say, you know, the economic conditions that are surrounding Botswana as of current are really hitting um, a term or basically. And you start looking at the government has now increased VAT. Government has introduced um, sugar taxes, etc. And this is part of government's way of trying to redefine the physical policies that generate income for the economy, so as to sustain a lot of economic activities. Start looking at your 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 health bill. Start looking at the educational bill. Start looking at infrastructure development in rural areas. All these sort of things. So government at the same time is really trying to keep afloat as well because government because of the security of employment, they can't change people, they can't cut off people. But look at it also from that perspective and say, well, if I'm in private sector and I'm an employer and I need to keep something afloat, I'm serving towards food security Botswana. What is it that's going to be a value benefit on our end? Do we keep the people or do we just continue off as 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 we are? And I think Part of the things that I want to that I want to just bring across is to say, Horan, um, let us try to make ourselves either one of two things. Create yourself such that you are you are employable. And in this instance, Hagere don't just be the basic guy who just has that degree from UB or just has that degree from BEC and thinks they're entitled to a job whatsoever, whatsoever. I'll give you a typical example of myself. Um, I'm 26 years old. 
and I'm a CA. I think I'm probably one of the youngest CAs in Botswana. And for this alone, I know what, even if the company that I probably worked to, like for today were to change me, I know the next company will be very much willing to actually consume me and put me up within the, the corporation. So in the very same respect, you need to define yourself and you need to set yourself as well to a certain sort of degree or a certain sort of educational level that can make you probably within the workforce. Because when you start looking into skilled labor and non-skilled labor, there is that thin lining where you can actually say, oh, Hana, it's actually a scarce skill. Hana, it's not a scarce skill. And also, if I can also take it from an employer perspective, a lot of employers today are taking advantage of what you call the vocational training levy, whereby the skilled resources that they have, they actually take for further trainings such that they empower more of our citizens and also at the same time also get the value benefit from HRDC because HRDC also gives you 200% of what you pay out as, as training levy. The other mindset that you also need to keep is from an entrepreneurial sort of perspective. The lifeline that we live in today doesn't necessarily require you to actually be employed. Yes, um, there are the benefits that come with just formal employment and so forth. But I think, Mobotswana, there is so much ground of opportunity that lies in for us, Rebotswana, such that we are not really... What's the right word to use? We've turned so much of a blind eye to what we can and what we cannot do. And we've actually given government a whole lot of power to actually dictate to us what should be done and what shouldn't be done. Yet most of this power really lies into our hands. When you start looking into the, some of the value chains that operate within the different sort of sectors, take manufacturing as an example or take your million production distribution type of, type of um, sections as, as an example. A lot of us, usually, it's always, there's a foreigner who's operating this particular business. There's a foreigner who's operating this particular um, industry. And then when all in Mojana, so the very same person, the same set of skills, with the same set of expertise, with the very same set of, of mindset to procure and operate within such an industry, we fall back behind. Cedar comes and says we can offer financing. We still don't come forward. Leah says we can develop that business plan for you. We still don't come forward. The Ministry of Youth comes forward and says we'll give you um, financing of which 50% of would still be a grant to you while still failing short to come through and sign up for some of these initiatives. And this just even goes even further beyond to even look at your informal sector. And not just uh, a year ago, the local entrepreneurship authority, Leah, was giving out a grant of 1,000 pula to all people that are in the informal sector, but for one reason or another, were still failing short to actually come and consume some of these things try to commercialize more of our businesses and try to make something more tangible out of our day-to-day living since employment may not be the right paths for some of us. And at the same time as well, there are some of the opportunities that can come pre- presented that government is actually enacting on, on our behalf. There's something that you call the AFCFTA, that is the African Continent Free Trade Area, which has opened up an opportunity for export markets within the African region. And we're talking a population of approximately 1.4 billion people. To say, of all the raw materials that we find within each and every single country, of all the expertise to manufacture, and of all the um, expertise as well to process and mineralize and diversify different types of services and goods and products, we still fall a bit short in time to work out some of these logistics and time to work out some of these, such that we bring into some of these different markets. And don't get me wrong, the economy is diversifying. Yes, more and more people are reaching that we're getting more into, into some of these different um, industries and sectors. But it's, it all starts with you on an individual level to say, move yourself from point A to point B. 
because the end of the SOE now, it's it's really that flexibility. It's not necessarily um, a leeway to say, no, 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 go clubbing, go roaming around after curfew time, ETC, ETC, ETC. No, no, no. It's actually to say there's an opportunity now to for you to actually harbor some of the benefits that could be posed by the freedom of which people are able to move around, people are able to generate money as and when they please, people are able to actually commercialize that sense of living such that at least they keep afloat with the cost of living in Botswana. Already inflation is on, on an all-time high. I think it's currently sitting at 8.9 as at end of August. And you can just imagine what even when government says the monetary policy is still kept at a specific at a specific um, range and the bank rate is kept at a specific point. This is just so as to allow what lending solutions can be a bit more flexible for people who want to pursue entrepreneurship and those who are employed to actually create better standards of living for themselves so as to keep afloat with the way life goes. I didn't necessarily want to touch more specific to um, the ending of SOE and jobs specifically, but I wanted us to sort of develop a more of a solutionist type of thinking to say what this is now a new a new framework in terms of a new time span that we're entering into. And government really is throwing things in our hands. So the best way we can do is take every single available opportunity for this and create something better out of it. I think for the sake of not talking too much, let me just pause there and then I'll just probably take maybe a couple of answers as and when I see them on the TL. Yeah, thank you. I think I think you've you you've brought up uh you've you've brought up good points. And I mean that's really the point of why we have these spaces, right? It's really around um trying to better ourselves, um Relebazwana and also opportunity I think all those points, um, all those points are definitely welcome. Um, so, I think, I think, I think, as we as we look at the time, we've been talking for about two hours now. Um, I'm gonna. There's a question here on the timeline. For those who cannot afford engaging attorneys, does the legal clinic at UB still assist those who may be? Uh, facing constructive dismissal. And I guess this also maybe can fit in with regards to any other contract um, uh, matters, maybe retrenchment. Um, uh, and Mrs. B, do you guys, are you guys aware of, is the UB clinic still helping with those? Yes, uh, but before we go to the UB legal clinic, um, one... Uh, department I've been working with a lot is actually Legal Aid Botswana. And they do assist, or they will assess your matter. And also, obviously, because you would have been un- uh, disterminated, so you automatically become unemployed, and you will fall within their criteria. Um, they, they have a set criteria that you should not earn a certain amount of money, or you should not have certain uh, means, because if you have certain means or you earn a certain amount of money, then you should be able to afford a lawyer. So if you fall within the brackets that uh, in which they can assist you, they will assist you. And most cases that we do, we do with them, where um, someone has been unlawfully uh, terminated and when they believe or see that after assessing their prospects of success at no cost to you they will take the matter to court and be able to seek um, an award for you uh, in the form of compensation however like I said earlier on and um, uh, with the beautiful presentation we just um, had from Kilo 
um, in as much as you may be pursuing that um, uh, route of uh, getting your compensation, also don't forget yourself in the process. Um, see what, what it is that you can do. Can you find something to do on the side? Find a way of making passive income. Also make yourself um, uh, someone who is employable um, and continue applying for work while your case is, 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 is also running concurrently. So there's the uh, legal aid and there's also the UB Legal Clinic. Um, uh, UB Legal Clinic, the only thing is that sometimes the um, student at the time, because obviously they would not have been admitted as an attorney yet, who's assisting you may then um, end up graduating and then leave your file there and then um, it leaves a bit of a, a gap. So I would advise that for those who uh, have faced um, unfair dismissal, whatever dismissal it is, constructive or not, um, approach the legal aid Botswana. Also speak to your attorneys. I mean, try to have arrangements with your attorneys. While you are working now, you pay for your medical aid. Do you have an attorney whom you pay so that when um, that happens, um, there's someone who's going to be there to assist you? Because we do have um, employees, individuals, and companies who retain attorneys to say, I'm going to uh, save up for the rainy days. And then when you have a case, um, whether it's an employment case or not, you have an attorney who's there to assist you. So, yes, we are your friends. Um, lawyers are not just liars. We are actually your friends all right nori legal aid you want to guys um if someone do wants to find the legal but, but, but where can they find them they are at the cb cbd um i believe it is in the cto building so central business district in the cto building that's where you go um Ramokate, you have a question Yes, I just wanted to comment on what Ms. B just said. Uh, you know, there's a distinct difference between constructive dismissal and unfair dismissal. So with unfair dismissal, the burden of proof lies with the employer. That is, the employer has to prove that they indeed did not dismiss you unfairly. But with constructive dismissal, the burden of proof lies with the employee. So because the burden of proof lies with me as the employee to say I was I was unfairly dismissed or constructively dismissed. I then cannot accept job offers because I recently rejected a job offer because then in in the eyes of the court, it may appear that I had that job offer even before I resigned or I resigned intensely so that I get another job offer. So I think if you're going through constructive dismissal, also be cautious of that because if you resign this month and the next month you're working, then your case may not be that substantial in court. And then there is also what we call delictual damages. That is what you're entitled to that you you claim for before the courts, even though it's not uh, what you call in the law, but it's something that you can maybe claim for because of the, the conservative smear that you went through. So maybe if the two lawyers here can maybe elaborate on delictual damages and what you can or cannot claim for, maybe that would be beneficial to the sort of people that are here. Thank you. Um, just to, just... Um, sorry, could I take this okay, one? Okay, all right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for that, uh, Ramokate. Um, I just wanted to, if I can try and address it point by point. Um, I'm not sure if I entirely agree with the first thing I said, and please, Miss B, correct me if I'm wrong here. 
about the burdens of proof. I mean, generally in law, there's a, there's a concept that whoever is going to allege something, whoever is going to claim something has to prove it. But I think I can see why you would say the burdens are different because if I'm approaching the court to say that my employer dismissed me unfairly, I am going to have to state why that process was unfair. Either my employer didn't have reason to dismiss me or my employer did not have or did not follow the proper procedures to dismiss me. I still have to set out to the court on my papers what it is that makes the dismissal unfair. What should the employer have done to have made that dismissal fair? But then the employer on the inverse then has to turn around and say, no, 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 we didn't have to do those things. Or, no, we did do those things and we did them on this day at this time in this way. And this is what this was the outcome. You're you're just upset because the verdict didn't go your way. Whereas on the inverse with constructive dismissal, um, it's for you to show that, it's for the employee to show that everything that led to, or most of the things that led to them being dismissed was as a result of the employer making or creating such an environment that they could not have been reasonably expected to remain within the employment of that employer. So you create an environment that's so toxic or you move the employee around or you slash their pay or whatever, but the employee had no choice but to resign. Um, And still, the burden rests on you as the employee to state that, make another reason I resigned was because of the employer's conduct. And the employer is also given the opportunity to say, no, but you know what, that, you know, you raised grievances, those grievances were addressed, you just don't like the way they were addressed, or you didn't raise grievances, even though that doesn't directly point to there having not been any uh, constructive dismissal situation. But it's basically for the employer to make an answer to the employee. Similarly, if any party goes to court, whoever's alleging the thing, whoever's claiming the thing, whoever's bringing the matter has to, on their papers, still prove their case. And it's for the other party to deny or prove otherwise. Um, And then with respect to the question on delictual damages, I'm not going to go too much into that. I I think maybe I can leave that for you, Mrs. B. But with the question on delictual damages, uh, when it comes to labor law, when it comes to the industrial court, the industrial court doesn't necessarily give delictual damages, just as a precursor. Delict is... um, Delict is a, is a branch of the law that deals with obligations that you owe to the next person yes. that don't arise from contract. So you have contractual obligations, you have delictual obligations. I owe to Mrs. B and every person who is my neighbor, every person who is close to me, every person who I should have in my mind whenever I do a thing, I have an obligation to them. The extent of that obligation is different, but I still have some sort of obligation to them. And that obligation can be limited. So, but anyway, so basically what the the industrial court does is they award compensation. The Trade Dispute Act gives the the types of um, awards that an industrial court judge can give. They can either give you your notice pay, if you were to be given notice, 
they can reinstate you if the if the relationship hasn't broken down too much or they can award you what they call compensation on top of those other two uh, those other two awards so what compensation does is basically to say like Mrs. B had said earlier money is not going to make up for what's been done to you but you know a couple hundred thousand is going to be too bad um, now, compensation isn't limited by the Trade Dispute Act, but there have been cases that were decided that set or a compensation should be within reason. There was this one particular um, constructive dismissal case that I read where this lady had claimed 12 months, her, her 12-month salary as compensation for what her employer did to her. The court agreed that she was constructively dismissed, that the employer was wrong, but the court said 12 months is a bit too much. So instead, the court awarded her eight months. There was a Kwemekau decision made by the current chief justice of, as a chief justice, no, sorry, the current judge president of the industrial court, Ebo Marupin, where he tried to delineate, where he tried to limit and say, when a, when a person claims compensation against their employer, that compensation is ordinarily, in normal circumstances, limited to six months. However, it can go over in exceptional circumstances. And in so going over, it ordinarily will not go over 12 months unless the circumstances are so terrible, so egregious, so ugly, so, so bad that the employer needs to be punished by giving the employee such a big award, or the employee needs to be compensated for their losses because it was such a big loss. Um, and just as a final point, again, Mrs. B, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think a negative judgment can be made simply because you got you, you left one job in May and you got another job in June. No. I don't think a negative judgment can be made from that. No, actually... Um, Thanks so much. If I may add, uh, one of the factors that are listed in the Trade Dispute Act that the court has to consider in awarding compensation is that, did you mitigate your loss? And by that, it means that when you were uh, constructively dismissed or unfairly dismissed or unfairly retrenched, did you just sit at home and do nothing? So the court will also look at whether you did something. So it's not going to be something that will be negative for you that one month after being constructively dismissed or um, unfairly retrenched or unfairly dismissed that you sought alternate employment. That's actually going to be a good thing for you because you mitigated your loss. You didn't just sit. We, we also have to be very careful as employees. And that's why I'm saying I really love this space because we're having an open conversation and we are trying to advise and uh, give um, assistance to employees and, and just to the general public. In, in, uh, and um, Andile will, will, will confirm this. We have cases that take five years before the industrial court five years before a determination is made on whether you are unfairly dismissed, unfairly retrenched, or constructively dismissed. So in those five years, what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit at home? That's 16 months. Are you going to sit at home? Um, jo uh, job offers are coming. You're not, you're not accepting them. 
um, you have obligations. Um, consider the fact that we have just told you now that the Trade Dispute Act actually provides that you should mitigate your loss. You must do something. Yes, granted, something wrong has been done to you, right? But you don't just sit and just accept that until when. So that is also something you need to consider. And also, um, Andile did mention that the industrial court is a court of equity. It's a special court. It's a creature of statute. It's different from the high court. And issues of delictual claims, issues of um, harm, um, whatever loss you have um, um, had due to somebody's wrongdoing, those are issues that would ordinarily go before um, the high court, which... Um, um, is a court that has got uh, inherent jurisdiction. But before an industrial court, we're looking at compensating you for what has happened. So I think the main focus, the main focus for us as employees in trying to change the narrative or trying to change where we are in the legal sphere of employer-employee is, has something been done to me uh, that is wrong? Have I sought legal advice from the experts? What are my prospects of success? Uh, and you pursue that. And while you pursue that, you also get, a, you get uh, and I'm saying this with all due respect, you also see how to uh, sustain yourself. Do not think about how things will look to say, if I get employment, then it will look like, no, you are going to show us how you, how they made your life miserable. And believe me, if you show us that they made your life miserable, you just shared your story with us and we were able to empathize sympathize with you and sympathize with you and we understand we've equally been in similar work environments that were toxic that were unbearable and for me personally as an attorney somebody ironically somebody who fights for the rights of others I was working in a firm where it was not um, a pleasant place for me and I, I then decided to set up so I took initiative I, I I was going through something that was not good I acted but I also did something concerning my life and I think that's what Kilo also was talking about to say that we must also look at um, the end of the state of emergency as an advantage and, and, and what we can also benefit rather than um, looking at the negative part of it so please get advice um don't i know most of us resort to google a lot but andila and i have spent a great uh, a lot of years at school so uh, there are some things that we will be able to advise you on that um google attorney or advocate google will not be able to so get yourself an attorney if you can afford one or retain one and then get proper advice so that um, you can at least be able to, um, as a matter of principle, um, get what you seek from the court, but then also um, have a life that actually does move on and doesn't come to a standstill. I think if I can just throw in one point thank, that thank, might thank be... Thank you for that. Just, just hold on. Hold on, Chilo. Just hold okay. on, Chilo. Um, I had a few people who sent speaker, who, who sent speaker invites um, speaker requests, I added them, but then they fell off. I think there were about three people. Please, um, I think I remember one being Tefo, and I remember one being a Matasa, Tasa, or something of that nature. Please um, um, send those again. I will now sort of say, guys, we, we, we are at past 10. Um, so any comments, questions, let's keep them tight now. Um, you know, uh, let, let, let's try to keep them um, tight and very to the point. This is one of those things that we could speak for hours and hours and hours. So, but I, but I will at some point have to sort of rein us in and and, and allow us all to go to go to sleep. Um, Kido, um, you were gonna you were gonna comment. 
Uh, no, just a brief, just a brief um, pointer to what Ms. B was saying. Um, to be very, very honest with you, legal sh- legal fees are very, 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 very expensive. I don't think unless you're going to marry a lawyer, you're going to be able to afford one in this, in this <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's a good thing I know Ms. V personally, so at least I'll get a discount here and there. Um, but just, just, just a point of encouragement to um, a lot of us that are in here. Um, these guys, your your legal aid, your legal wise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, do provide some of these um, services in terms of legal insurance, so to say. And we tell you what the premium that you're going to be paying is about around seventy-five billion per month. I'd really like to encourage a number of us, especially in private sector, to at least sign up for some of these um, some of these schemes because you can be laughing with your bosses and everything. Kamoso, a lot of shit hits the fan. Um, you're on bad books without another, or there's a restructuring in terms of management, there are new bosses um, on the line. And the first thing about Zainabari, you know what? We have 2 million employees, more kilo enterprises, start cutting down from 2,000 people to 1,000 people. And you don't even know set of the, the fence you fall on. And in other instances, you are on the on the on the wrong side of things, so to say, or homeway, for lack of a better phrase to use. So at least such initiatives will actually have a fund sitting for you, and there's we are lawyer um at that at that legal aid or that legal provider are waiting for you to at least assist and mitigate that loss at, at the very least. So at least for maybe two, three months and then you can then go look out for your next opportunity, whether it be employment or it be entrepreneurship. Okay. Oh thank you. Um I don't want us to 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 worry too much about um you know, back and forth it, Tata. Um, but yes, um, I guess Oka Oka comment our Kanawa Botsa Potsu. Hi, I just wanted to say thank you, Ms. V, for that advice. Uh, I think what I've noted from this, because as I was talking with my lawyer, it wouldn't be good to take this case to. Uh, industrial court, but rather go to high yes. court, as you were saying that digital damages are not awarded at. So uh, we have decided to go with the high court route. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why I was saying unfair dismissal and constructive dismissal, the benefit of proof lies differently. It's because with unfair dismissal, there is a letter that the employ- employer issues to you to say, we are terminating your services because of one, two, three. But with constructive dismissal, you are the one who actually terminated your contract so there's nothing from the employer that says we wanted to dismiss you so that's why the van of proof lies with you as the employee can i can i just correct that um what and yes, yes, yes what yes. andile said is correct um the burden of proof whether there is a letter or not remember some people are terminated so the burden of proof whether there's something in writing or not there are a lot of things in law it can be written it can be tacit it can be implied right how people behave now how do you prove this 
I wanted to say the word footsake, but I think that's not a very polite word. But you go to court and say, but you will be put on the stand and you will give your version or your evidence or your testimony. And so will the employer and the, both versions will be tested. And then on a balance of probabilities, um, it will become evident that and you'll be compensated. So the burden of proof, whether um, constructive or not, whether in writing or not, whether in writing or kamolomo or or they close the gate, that is that is sufficient. So I think let's not think too much into these things. And that is why I keep emphasizing that you need a lawyer. And I'm glad you have one. And I'm sure he'll clarify this for you to say it doesn't matter whether it's in writing or not. Um, there are a lot of cases that we've gone to court where there's been nothing in writing. You take the stand, we cross-examine you, we um, check and see who's telling the truth. And uh, on a balance of probabilities, the truth is the truth. Oh, the truth is the truth, right? Lies have got uh, what? So we do then come to that uh, determination and you get your, your compensation. So don't think too much about that. Get someone who is skilled, who has, is qualified for that. They'll do that work in proving how or what or what is not in writing what. I think you just need to be able to tell your story and um, um, seek counsel from your attorney and they'll advise you. So let me clarify that. Writing or not, balance of probabilities, the burden of proof lies on you. He who alleges must prove. Yeah, I think uh, um, I think we, we, we are very aware the lies have short legs. Uh, lies have short legs. Um, and as you said, this will all be be proved in court. Guys, I think I think um I'd just love to Thank you. Um, I think it's time. Yeah, for um, but I'd love to thank you all. Um, firstly, um, all of the people that have attended and listened, um, for 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 doing so, but also to the different people that have contributed. Um, um your parting your, your parting comments um get us you know i think i think i'll reiterate what not just what people have said on the space but also on the tl your your story has been you know your story was horrible to hear and you know connected and therefore they can do what they hope um you know we we pray that one day you will give us a testimony um of a sto- of of the story where you, you know justice was served um so i think you you can give your final uh, comments in that regard okay thank you thank you i think i want to say thank you for the opportunity and i also want to say to the lawyers like uh if if you can document cases, even like if you run your own law firm, please document cases that you have that you have taken to court, so that we can also go through those and see and learn from those. And then two to the broadcasters, like 
engage in the right conversations, like start the conversations and ensure that people actually learn about what's going on so that people don't die without, without the assistance that they may be liable to get. But in general, thank you so much for hearing me and thank you for giving me an opportunity to share my story. Thank you, sir. Read um, Mrs. B, Andile, any final words? Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I actually have been running my own practice for the past uh, six years now. Um, I do have um, cases where I have succeeded, where um, one of my first cases, actually, um, the employee was able to get um, 12 months as compensation. And it was one of the biggest um, <laughs> one of the biggest companies in this country. I don't want to mention the name right now, but maybe I'll tell a few people. So um, it's about the fight um, in you uh, and the, your willingness to 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 take the to 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 go all the way and to to, to take the fight. Um, I did this. I, I became an attorney because I wanted to see change and make a difference. Um, and I do believe that justice must not just be done, but must be seen to be done. So uh, I think we need to have the seen part shown. Uh, thank you for the space. Um, let's have more conversations like this. Um, and those who uh, want to reach out to me, uh, don't hesitate. I am on Facebook, Mbewe Legal Practice. Um, my office line is 316-5578. And yeah, um, we are legal service with a difference. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead, Andy. No, no, no. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's fine. Oh, I was going to say thank you, everyone, for taking the time to come out and listen to us jabber on. Um, we really do appreciate the interactions. We really do appreciate the questions and the positive feedback. This is a brilliant space, and I really want to send a special thank you to them playing for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, but yeah, just to just to reiterate what what's what's already been said, guys, it's it's important to have people like Mrs. B and I in your corner. And I mean unless you're gonna be suing fifty five different companies over the course of twenty years, <laughs> we can always discuss things like fees and we can always discuss things like what can be done. I mean I, 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 I'm, I'm aware that Mrs. B does this as well. We all, I also do this, and I imagine a lot of lawyers do this too. Resources are something that we make available to our clients. We make available to anyone. Court cases are public records. You may not always know what case to look for. So if you go to someone and just say, hey, guys, give up my case, yes, and then please point me in the direction of the case that says this. We're always happy to provide you with the case. If you want us to interpret it, or if you want us to apply it to your particular situation, that's a different conversation. But access to resources is something that I personally believe in. I think everyone should always have access to the things that are going to help them. And I think spaces like this, with conversations like this, are very important. So I just want to say thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Andile. Thank you, um... Mrs. B, thank you, um, Ramakate, um, Kilo, and everybody who interacted with us today. Um, this is BW Connect Spaces. We, our, our real, our ethos is it takes a village. Um, 
Um, and, you know, we thought these kind of conversations uh, are important. Because some of us were in different spaces, having different problems. Mersa realized, you know, some of these things, or they can share their experiences. Um, today was a, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a tough topic. Um, and, you know, when you have someone like Maramakate um, coming in and telling you the experience, it's a horrible thing to hear. And we, you know, we pray and hope for the best uh, for him in that regard. But it, it was a really, really, I think it was a really, really good informative space. And I hope that Luanabaliling, the employers, um, you know, you've learned something and you'll, you'll do the right thing. And you'll hopefully um, call the lawyers to make sure that whatever things that you need to do, you do them correctly. Um, and then if you're the employee, um, I'm hoping that um, we hope we really hope that you guys were taking notes and 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 we will continue to engage um, on the timeline um, if you have any questions if you need um, Mrs. Baker you missed you know those things district labor office and all and all of that um, feel free to hit them up um, ask them questions follow them um, on, on on their specific timelines and and, and ask them questions. Remember again, follow the BW Connect Spaces. Everybody who's on here, go to BW Connect Spaces, um, and 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 follow them. Um, and you know the the next um, the next session that we should have in two weeks. We're hoping um, to have an ecosystem um, conversation um, that speaks to 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 to, to, to opportunities. Something that um, um, Kilo mentioned. Um, you know, there are some things that are happening in the in in, in the country, and we hope. You know, we, we can have some people come here and sort of um, showcase some of the opportunities that they actually have that um, different people can step into. So, you know, um, we hope we hope that will happen in the next space. Um, otherwise, I think we've, we've spoken for um, two and a half hours. So I think it's time. Um, it was very lovely having you guys with us. Thank you very much and see you.